Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. Psalm 128 is just a, a beautiful picture. You know, at, at Crosswalk, we, we love to kind of sit back and, and dream dreams about the future of this church family. And one of the passages that we often use to dream on that is Acts 2, 42 to 47. Just look at a, uh, the very first Christian church in Jerusalem. And, and you can get a picture of what the church, the Christian church ought to be by reading Acts 2, 42 to 47. Well, in this psalm, Psalm 128, I think you can get a picture of what the family could be with God's truth and God's love operating in it. So let's take a look at this. Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, who will eat the fruit of your labor. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. And may you live to see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now we're going to be talking about communication this morning in our families. Before we dive into that, though, I want, I'm, I want to do something a little different this morning. I want to give you time just to reread that passage one or two more times by yourself. Take your crosswalk notes out. Maybe I can have the team put the passage back up there. If you've got your Bible, just, just reread it and, and kind of read through it slowly until the picture of this family is developing, literally developing like a Polaroid picture in your mind. What's, what's happening in this family? You can say that again. A real man's got to be a hero to his wife before he can be to anybody else. But he ain't a real man. Catherine, do you need a place to stay? I can't imagine living in the same house with that man. No, I decided last night that I'm not the one that's leaving. He's the problem, not me. That's right, girl. Stand your ground. Make him respect you. If there's one thing a man understands... It's respect. That's the issue. That's the reason our marriage is failing. She shows me no respect at all. And the saddest part about it is... He doesn't have a clue. He thinks our marriage has been fine for the most part. Mm. You know, he probably thinks... Our marriage has been fine until this year. Now, all of a sudden, she goes off the deep end. Do you really think this happened all of a sudden? I don't know what to think. I don't understand her. She's emotional about everything. She's easily offended and way too sensitive. I mean, he's so insensitive. He doesn't truly care how I feel. He doesn't listen to me. Even if I say it over and over and over again. And then she starts nagging me and and saying I don't listen to her or, or something like that. It drives me crazy. I feel like I'm going insane. You know, he doesn't understand my needs. I feel like we are completely and totally incompatible. She's probably whining to her friends, making me sound like a criminal. I can see him all right now, crying, having some sort of group hug. It's going to be okay, sweetie. It's going to be all right. You'll get through this. So you think it's past the point of no return? I don't have a reason to return. I don't have a reason to return. Now open, open back up, and let's do the old compare and contrast. You, you saw a scene, I think, that could be typical of things that go on in any one of our families. 
I know scenes like that have gone on in the Gunn family from time to time. And, uh, and now look at this, this picture in Psalm 128. Take a moment and just find a neighbor, someone sitting next to you, and just say, say to them, what, what, what do you see as the difference between what we just watched and what you see here? What, what are the key things? Go ahead. Talk to a neighbor. So on the one hand, you have this amazing picture. Get to eat the fruit of your labor. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Your sons will be like olive shoots. The man who is blessed, who fears the Lord. You're going to live to see your children's children. And on the other hand, you have, uh, she shows me no respect at all. He doesn't have a clue. Everything's been fine until this year. He doesn't know how long it's been this bad. And back and forth and back and forth until sometimes you find yourself saying, is it really worth keeping going? And how important communication is, right? When, when I look at Psalm 128, it takes me back to um, our kitchen in Africa. And we had bought a very kind of unique square table. So that Julie and I and our five kids could all sit around it at once. And the evening time when we sat down for the meal, it it was just a a wonderful time for us to sit down and go over what were the highs and the lows of everybody's day and to really deeply communicate. And that's, that's really why I chose the theme, Remodeling Your Kitchen, for talking about communication. Because I don't think... The Gunn family is unique in that, that that a lot of communication goes on in the kitchen, right? And that sometimes we have to remodel our communication a little bit so that uh, we can move closer to this picture in Psalm 128 that God is painting as the ideal for our family life. And um, you and I know that as we just confessed, Jonathan just led us, we're sinful, so we're never perfectly going to get to this picture of a family. And and that's important to know because sometimes uh, if if we think we can get here and we set that bar so high, we're going to just end up being disappointed. We do always have to factor in that we are weak, that we're sinful, that we're human, that things are going to happen. But at the very same time, we have a powerful God, right? That powerful God who has powerful grace, who loves you and loves me, and by the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can move us in the direction of this beautiful vision for family life. And I wanted to fix that vision of family life in your mind. We're going to come back to it this morning as we talk about communication. I wanted to fix that in your mind first of all and let that draw you because we're not just talking about communication so that so that we can be better speakers. We're talking about communication so that we can build something God-pleasing. 
And knowing that when we build something in our family life that is God-pleasing, God promises his blessings. And isn't that in and of itself amazing? I find it so amazing that God gives us eternal life as a free gift. You and I do nothing to earn it. He simply graces us with it. And then on top of that, he says, look, I'll send you my Holy Spirit through the means of grace to empower you to thank me with your life, to glorify me with your life. And when you actually do that, empowered by my Holy Spirit, I'll bless you again. Grace upon grace. And that's the amazing God that you and I have. It's the amazing Jesus that you and I are are able to call ourselves followers of by the power of the Spirit. And, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. So let's talk a little bit about, even though this is kind of a general, if you, if you follow my laws, you'll be blessed. Let's talk a little bit more specifically and narrow it down to the, to the topic of our communication in our families. How many of you have experienced communication like what we just saw up on the screen in your families? You don't have to raise your hand necessarily, but think about it. I would guess, if we're really being authentic and honest this morning, pretty much every family in here has had those moments. And it's, it's easy to fall into that, that trap of, of starting to go back and forth and not really come together and understand one another. And that's why we want to start out by talking about the importance of godly communication because, number one, when we learn how to talk with each other in a godly way, communicate with each other in a God-pleasing way, it's going to promote stability in our families. Okay, That's, that's the very first point I want us to get today. Remember the old military slogan, World War II? Loose lips sink ships. I think that's really the very first thing that we have to realize is that that slogan doesn't just apply to the military. That when we are not in control of what we say, when we're not in control of our tongues, our loose lips can not only sink ships, they can sink homes as well. And one of the very first things that, that God urges upon us as followers of Christ and asks us to pray for is the gift of self-control in the tongue. In fact, he even says that when we gain control of our tongue, pretty much we're going to be able to control the whole rest of our body. It's an amazing thing. He says the tongue is actually the hardest part of our bodies to gain control of. I know that I myself have struggled with this. I've shared this with you before. My family growing up, not a Christian family, believed in, had a value of letting it all hang out when we had differences of opinion, right? And literally disagreements in our house when I was growing up were scream fests with a lot of emotion behind it. 
when I became a Christ follower, when I began to, to understand how God says there's nothing wrong with expressing your emotions. In fact, we're going to talk later about the importance of not stuffing your emotions and, and being honest and straightforward, but that there's a way to do that. And here's the first thing, and I, I didn't put any blanks on your, on your crosswalk notes, but here's maybe the most important thing in today's message that I want you to take home. What is God-pleasing communication? Because I just told you, God-pleasing communication promotes stability. Okay, but what is that? And in a nutshell, I can tell you that God-pleasing communication is speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Jesus himself was a model of that. In fact, one of the ways that he is described in the Bible as being full of grace and truth. Simultaneously full of grace and full of truth. And so motivated by the love God has for us, by the fact that Jesus came and told us this amazing truth that he would save us by going to the cross, by emerging from the tomb, by living a perfect life in our place, and that he was willing also to confront evil. You know that if you know about the life of Jesus. He confronted sin. And yet at the same time, he was always full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Speaking the truth in love is God-pleasing communication motivated by the love that God had for us. So now... Take that thought, speaking the truth in love. And instead of doing what my family did when I was growing up and just spewing forth with a lot of anger and emotion, what if you stepped back and said, each and every time you felt that you had something to say, how can I speak the truth in love? And when you do that, your lips are no longer loose lips. And when you do that, it promotes this amazing stability. Let's take a look at some of the passages I put in your crosswalk notes this morning. Look at Proverbs 13.3. He who guards his lips guards his life, the Bible tells us. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Clearly, if we want to demolish things, if it's our goal to destroy what we have, the Bible tells us how to do that. Just open your mouth, let your lips be loose, and let whatever feels right at the moment come flying out. And when we do that, and by the way, I've been guilty of that many times. Thank goodness for Julie, my wife, who has very patiently over the years helped me along the way to being not quite so hot-tempered. I learned to control my lips. Look at what James says. And this is just an acknowledgement of, of the way things are. We all stumble in many ways, right? How true that is. In fact, whole television series are built on the fact that we stumble with our mouths, right? Everybody Loves Raymond? How many episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond are built on these two stumbling over their words with each other, right? 
We all stumble in many ways. This is who we are, James says. And if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. There's that word corrupt that we studied last week. And it sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James goes on to compare our mouths and in controlling our mouths to putting a bit in the mouth of a horse. He says, if we can control our tongues, we can control everything, basically, just the same way as if you put a bit in the mouth of a horse. You can control this whole huge animal. So my first point is just to understand the importance of being in control of our communication. Now, how do you get there? Because we all stumble in many ways, right? And if you're like me and you, you have to make almost a complete 180, let me recommend this. Make small changes one at a time. Step back. Ask yourself where you're at with the control that you have over your tongue. I can tell you that it's taken me years of painful, excruciating work to be able to control my mouth when I'm feeling emotional. And, um, and, and it's going to probably take you a while too. And, and then also remember this. Not only does it take hard work over time, more than that, it takes God. It's a gift. And so if we want to gain control of our, of our communication, we have to ask God for it. We have to go to him. We have to pray. And we have to keep getting instruction from God's word. We have to be hearing what he says and believing what he says. For instance, do we really deeply believe that when we guard our lips, we're guarding our life? Do we trust what God is saying here? When he says that if we speak rashly, we're going to come to ruin. It's important to pray and ask and believe. And then finally, look at Proverbs 16, 24. Look at, look at what God says about when, when we do engage in great communication. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, he says. Love how God can turn it around and be so positive. Sweet to the soul. And healing to the bones. If there's a rift in your family, if there's, if there's something going on, it's amazing the medicine that kind words can bring. The movie that we're showing two clips from this morning is a movie called Fireproof. And uh, in this movie, uh, there's, there's a book that he reads from his father and mother. And... Over 40 days, he's supposed to try to turn his marriage around by doing little two-degree changes in, in how he interacts with his wife. And it's amazing how many of those involve just saying a little compliment, just building her up a little bit. Even at times when she doesn't deserve it, even at times when she rejects it, to just make a little two-degree shift and say, treat her this way, use these words instead of those. So there's our first point. You want to have a stable, strong marriage relationship. 
Godly communication promotes it. Go back to that Psalm 128. Do you notice what it said there? Your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. You think about those two plants. Those two plants are all about stability. When the Bible wants to talk about instability, it talks about grass. Because grass is here today. It's easily cut down. And it's gone tomorrow. Vines, olive trees, they're planted. Many times they take years before they produce fruit. But once they begin to produce fruit, it's year after year after year after year. Stability. And that's really what the psalmist is saying. Be in God's will in our lives as a response to his love for us. And we're going to be like olive shoots. We're going to be like vines, stable in our family life. Let's move on to the next point. And you know, this point is is so well known in the world. I just saw an article uh, this this past week. You know that the, the Dow Jones average has been plummeting, Right? And companies, one after another, are struggling. And here was an advertisement about McDonald's. Do you know that McDonald's is actually doing better in the current economy? And there was an interview with some of the executives asking, why are you doing better in this economy? And the executives had one simple phrase, two words. We listen. And and they went on to talk about surveys that they're constantly doing, specifically about one in which they decided as a response to listening to their customers to add one slice of cheese to a hamburger. This was all on ABC News this past week. Maybe you saw it. But the key point here is we listen. There's a, a book that many of you, I'm sure, have heard about by a guy named Stephen Covey. The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Chapter number one. Seek to understand, then to be understood. You see, the thing about listening and seeking to understand is is known in the world. But did you know that long before Stephen Covey wrote his book, long before McDonald's learned to listen, God said the first key point in communicating is to gain an understanding of what the people you want to be in a relationship with are all about and what's going through their minds and to walk in their shoes. Rick Lowen, who is on our staff and leads a ministry here at Crosswalk called Cross Train Ministry, Coaching Ministry, has a little acronym that he's taught some of you, LEADER. And LEADER stands for listen, empathize, affirm, direct, enlist, refer. It's talking about how you can be a personal helper to someone else, a a personal coach to someone else. Listen, empathize, affirm, direct, enlist, refer. And he teaches that because I know for myself and I know for many others, I'm prone to jump right to step four. Let me give you some direction. Before I've listened, 
and try to understand where you're coming from, before I've empathized and tried to, to actually see what your emotional state is and relate to that, before I've affirmed you that you probably are, you probably are going through some things that, that need affirmation. You need to know that you've taken some right steps. Then, after listen, after empathize, after affirm, now I can begin to give direction. It's not easy to wait, is it? It's not easy to step back when you have a friend or a spouse or a child. Because you've been doing some observing, you've been watching, and maybe you've had that conversation before, and the temptation, the natural temptation is to leap in with both feet and start giving direction. And this is where I think it's so important to hear what God is saying. Look at, uh, look at James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone, everyone, circle that word. Everyone should be quick to listen. Circle those three words. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What an amazing phrase that is. One that I've had to learn and relearn. How many times do, do we, when we get angry, think, boy, we've got to straighten this person out. We've got to be firm. We've got to hit them hard with some emotion. Otherwise, they're not going to get straightened out. And yet God says, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Do you have people in your family that you can clearly see need some redirection? How many of us, again, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of us are trying to redirect them with a lot of anger and emotion? Isn't that the natural temptation? How many of us are trying to redirect them without sitting down and listening? I mean, with our hearts listening. Listening like an engineer listens. I have a friend who's an engineer. And when he's presented a problem, even a church problem, doesn't have to be an engineering problem. He will ask question after question after question. Until he feels like he's got a grasp. Shallow questions, deep questions, medium level questions. He keeps seeking understanding before he proposes a solution. And that's what we need to be in our family lives. We need to be like engineers. What's the real problem here? And we need to keep seeking to clarify Will you find, will you find a, a place somewhere, some blank space on your crosswalk notes? There's two phrases that I think can really help with your listening. Two things you can actually say that will help make you a better listener. Two real practical things. One is, please help me clarify this. Use that word clarify. Will you please help me clarify this in my mind? 
Make it a goal to get as clear as possible what the other person is going through before you start to direct. And the second phrase, I think this one is even more helpful. I was telling this one to someone the other day, and they said, my boss says that all the time. Please help me to better understand. Please help me to better understand. You see, I think if we'd use those two phrases genuinely from the heart and really want to understand with our hearts, we could get a lot closer to what James is recommending here. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And Peter puts it this way. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. You know what's so amazing about that? And and it repeats a thought that we read in Psalm 128. I want you to circle those words, love life. And then I want you to circle the words, see good days. You know, sometimes in Christianity, we're encouraged to think only about heaven. And and, and trust me, I love talking about heaven and eternity. And that is by far and away the main thing, the main thing, going to heaven. It's going to be an amazing place. But when Peter says, whoever would love life and see good days, he's also referencing the here and now. And the power the Holy Spirit has to move us in a better direction in our lives today. And so it's so important that we understand that, again, that grace upon grace thing. God has graced us with eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he will grace us again to be able to love life and see good days. Listening is a key part of the communication that will enable us to do that. Take a look again at Psalm 128. Look at what verse 2 says. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. And look at verse 4. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. And we could add in his speech, in his communication. May the Lord bless you from Zion all the days of your life. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. When we learn godly communication, speaking the truth in love, God promises that that godly communication will promote prosperity in our lives. That that closeness to him. And of course, first of all, spiritual prosperity. You know that... One of the New Testament books of the Bible, God even talks about how our anger and our disputes with our spouses can interrupt our prayer lives. You want to have a prosperous relationship with God. And and I know we say again and again, focus first on God, and then you're going to have a better relationship with your spouse, with your children. And that's very true. But the Bible also says, focus on your relationship with your spouse and your children, and you're going to be blessed with a better relationship with God, too. They interact. They're a cycle. 
So first of all, we're going to enjoy spiritual prosperity when we communicate well within our families. Our prayers don't get interrupted. But secondly of all, God promises a happier, better day's life for us. So second point, godly communication promotes prosperity. If you're anything like me and you hear these things, part of it is, okay, that's great direction. But part of it is also, when is the other person going to wake up? I'm sitting here. I'm listening. I want to change. When's my wife going to get it? When's my husband going to get it? When are my kids going to get it? And we can feel pretty put upon sometimes. Like we're trying, but the other person is not. Not at least as hard as we are. I want to show you another clip from the movie. Caleb, if I were to ask you why you're so frustrated with Catherine, what would you say? She's stubborn. She makes everything difficult for me. She's ungrateful. She's constantly griping about something. Has she thanked you for anything you've done the last 20 days? No. And you'd think after I wash the car, I change the oil, do the dishes, clean the house, that she would try to show me a little bit of gratitude. Well, she doesn't. In fact, when I come home, she makes me feel like I'm, like I'm an enemy. I'm not even welcome in my own home, Dad. That is what really ticks me off. Dad, for the last three weeks, I have been over backwards for her. I have tried to demonstrate that I still care about this relationship. I bought her flowers, which she threw away. I have taken her insults and her sarcasm, but last night was it. I made dinner for her. I did everything I could to demonstrate that I care about her, to show value for her, and she spat in my face. She does not deserve this, Dad. I am not doing it anymore. How am I supposed to show love to somebody over and over and over who constantly rejects me? That's a good question. Dad, that is not what I'm doing. Isn't it? No. Dad, that is not what this is about. Son, you just asked me. How can someone show love over and over again when they're constantly rejected? Caleb, the answer is, you can't love her because you can't give her what you don't have. That's a great line. We can't give what we don't have. And the only place to get the kind of love that will fight back even against the other person's rejection, the other person's not trying hard enough, the other person trashing our efforts, is the kind of love that Jesus first had for us. And, and that starts as we start here every Sunday with recognizing our own faults, our own sins, taking them to that cross. But it, it continues on beyond that. Receiving that grace and forgiveness and then going back in and trying again, even when we're rejected by that other person on the basis of the fact that we can draw down 
from that love of Christ that he has for us. You see, so often we only continue when it becomes a cycle between us and the other person. Right? I do something good and then they do something good back for me. That strengthens me to do another good thing to them and they do another good thing for me. But what if the person isn't reflecting back? That's kind of a little bit about what this movie Fireproof is about. And that's why the dad says, you can't give what you don't have. Sometimes when the reciprocity is not going this way, where do you got to get it from? This way. And when, when we're drawing down on the amazing grace and love that God gave us, undeservedly so, then we can bounce and reflect some of that off to the other person, even when they're not giving it back to us. And that can be reflected in our communication. Now, it's tough. And I know some of you have gone through situations, I I know this, where you've met one wall after another, after another, after another. I can tell you those are some really, really tough situations. But even there, know that your God loves you. That you are a dearly loved child of God in Christ that you have his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy, even when someone you care about deeply doesn't reflect that back to you, know that you always have the love of a heavenly father who calls you his son and his daughter. Take a look at your crosswalk notes. First Peter chapter 2, 21 to 24. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you. First of all, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He was in control of his communication. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He looked up. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And then here's the most beautiful phrase in the whole thing. Underline it, star it, circle it. By his wounds, you have been healed. Your sins are forgiven. His wounds have healed you. So we've talked about the fact that if we want to build toward that picture of a godly family, communication is important. We've talked about listening. I want to talk about one last thing very briefly. And, and much more important than me talking in detail about this today is one last practical tip that I want to give you. I'm going to go through a passage in just a moment from Ephesians chapter 4. I consider it the primary how to talk to someone passage, especially when you're in conflict. Here's my practical encouragement to you. I, I, can, I can teach you a little bit about it today, but you're going to really learn it if you, if you take a page in your Bible. You've probably heard of these little booklets called God's Yellow Pages or for when people are in grief, they can read this passage or that passage. I encourage everybody to have their own little personal page where they write passages down that they've come across somewhere in their Bible. If you have to tuck an extra page in there, but this Ephesians four passage that we're going to read, 
Can I encourage you to write it down somewhere so that if you forget the verse reference, it's right there in your Bible? And the next time you're struggling to talk to someone, the next time you have to go into an emotional situation or a conflict situation, before you go in there, do this repeatedly, not just once, but every time you're in that situation, sit down with that chapter, that book, those verses, and read them and pray about them first. Because it's so important that not only we listen, but that we check how we talk. Look at what Proverbs 15.1 says. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Let's look at Ephesians 4.25-32 that expands on that thought. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Okay, first little tip. I'm just going to give you tips as we go through this. Quit stuffing the truth. That's what this is saying. When you have a beef with someone, just go up to them and say, I have a bone to pick with you, and be honest. That's the first step. Remember, speaking the truth is part of what we're saying godly communication is. And that's what Paul is saying. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. You know what that's saying? When you have to communicate something that's a conflict, that's emotional, that involves anger, don't let it build up day after day after today. Here's here's how I phrase it. Deal with today's anger when? Today. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Notice what it says spiritually happens when we do that? Giving the devil a foothold right into your heart. Next, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Two thoughts come to my mind. Very often when we're angry, it has to get out some way, right? And what do we so often steal from one another when we're angry with somebody and don't want to tell them the truth directly? Leads to gossip, backbiting, and we steal people's reputations. Don't steal another person's reputation. If you're upset with someone, deal with that person. I can't tell you how destructive gossip is in a church, in a family, in any organization. Now, here's another thing that that verse teaches. Your anger will come out. When I was assistant principal at ALA, I learned to ask a question when when someone got something stolen from their locker. You know what it is? Now, this is actually not stealing a reputation, but this is stealing something physical from a locker or a car. My first question somebody angry with you and I found out over five years of experience that very often when a person didn't know how to confront someone directly they try to get back at them in another way your anger comes out Paul says let your anger come out in gentle words not some other way do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths unwholesome you know what wholesome is right Healthy, health building. 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Here's another tip. When you're emotional and angry, don't do what I so often have done in my life. And just let it build up until it spews forth and boom, it's coming out of your mouth. And you are going, how can I rip this person to shreds? What does Paul say? The goal ought not to be to rip somebody down. But when we're angry, when we're angry, that's what we want. Paul says, step back. Before you let words come out of your mouth, especially unwholesome words, take a moment, gather yourself. And ask yourself this simple question. How can my words build this person up instead of rip them down? That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Again, a spiritual explanation of what's going on in the the spiritual world when we just have outbursts of anger. Now, get rid of all bitterness. That's built up anger, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That means evil intentions. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And here's the last part of this. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Okay, one last practical tip and then we'll close this out. How many of you when you're having an argument with your spouse or with your kids, work it all the way through to the end. And how many of you know what it means to work it all the way through to the end? Do you know what that means in God's terms? Let me tell you. It's what we just heard. And I'm going to first tell you what it's not. And what I find so prevalent, what I've even done sometimes, it's to have a big fight, walk away, And come back in an hour or two or maybe the next day and pretend like nothing happened. That's not working it through. It's also not working it through when we give someone the cold shoulder. Working it all the way through to the end is when, and it's it's a very clear finish line. It's when I say to Julie... Or I say to one of my kids, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. And when they say to me, I forgive you. That's the key. We have to be ready and willing and able to say, I'm sorry. And to say, I forgive you. And then to accept that forgiveness as genuine. When you do that each and every time you're angry with one another, then you're going to be able to obey what Paul says here. Here's our third and final point. Godly communication promotes proximity. When we work things all the way through to the end, we're going to get close with one another. In fact, conflict doesn't have to be divisive. What I've so often found is when we work it all the way through to the end and we say our our sorries and we forgive each other's, You know what happens in the end? We're closer to one another than we ever have been. Godly communication. What an awesome thing it is. And I want you to take that Psalm 128. Put that picture in your mind. And remember, 
we communicate in a God-pleasing way. This is what God promises. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your sons will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus is the man blessed who fears the Lord. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Examine yourself to see if you're in control of your tongue. Ask God to grant you the gift of humility in the use of words. Secondly, and very importantly, take your sinful words to the one the Apostle John calls the Word, Jesus Christ. Trust in His grace for forgiveness, and you have it. And then meditate on and memorize 1 Peter 3.10. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the gift of our mouths. A gift, Lord, which because of sin we admit is sometimes very difficult for us to use in a God-pleasing way and to control the way that you would have us. But Lord, we come to you knowing that once again, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. We have your forgiveness and we have your love. And we have the power of your Holy Spirit at work to help us move in the right direction in our family communication. Lord, help us to remodel our kitchens, our spiritual kitchens, and help us so that we can truly understand the value of good communication, godly communication. Help us to be great listeners. And help us to to take the direction that you give us in Ephesians chapter 4 and apply it in our lives. We pray this in the name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.